Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. We're starting a new series today uh, called Miracle Misconception. Does anybody need a miracle in their life? Golly, I could use like 18 right now. That's just for today off the top of my head. Uh, miracles are something that we are looking for. I believe with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength that God still operates today. I may be the only one in here, but I believe that with all my heart. That he is not done. He is not retired. He didn't hang up the gloves. He's not just off in the cosmos enjoying his vacation. But today he is wanting to be, hear me out, he is wanting to be, he is desiring to be just as active in your life today as he was in the apostles' life 2,000 years ago. All right. I got two people. We, gonna, we got this, you two. We got this. Today, we're going to start our new series, Miracles, Mis- Miracle Misconceptions, because I believe that most of us have believed, including yours truly, uh, ideas about what it takes to have a miracle, to see a miracle, to perform a miracle. And it's honestly... A lot of things that we have done, either A, we have believed he is no longer doing it, or B, we believe that God is looking for a loophole. As in a contract that you had signed that you no longer want to participate in, and that God is hoping that you miss a little bit so he doesn't have to perform a miracle. You didn't pray long enough. You were close, but you didn't fulfill our contract. You didn't do this, you didn't do that, or you did too much of this, you did too much of that, and now God is no longer obligated to perform miracles in your life. And I don't believe that's the case. I don't believe that God is looking for a way out of your life. I believe God is looking for a way in your life. I don't believe he's trying to exempt himself from responsibility. And I don't believe that God is a deadbeat dad. Now that should have gotten at least two. God is a father to the fatherless because he wants to be a father in your life. Just go ahead and grab your Bible. We're going to sit today in Genesis chapter 15. We're going to read the whole chapter. Uh, If you don't have your Bible, it's on the screen above me right now. Um, But uh, we're going to sit right here, Genesis chapter 15, for the whole service. We'll break this thing down. Genesis 15 says that after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. That's a good start. I'm your shield. He says this, your abundant compensation and your reward. And Abraham said, Lord God, what can you give me since I'm going childless? And he who is the owner and heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abraham continued, look, you have given me no child. And a servant in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this man shall not be your heir. But he who shall come from your own body shall be your heir. And he brought him outside, and he said, Look now towards the heavens and count the stars if you're able to. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed, he believed in the Lord, and and God counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land as an inheritance. 
But Abram said to the Lord God, By what shall I know that I will inherit it? And he said unto him, Bring me a heifer that's three years old, and a she-goat that's three years old, and a ram three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these things, and cut them down the middle, and laid them in halves opposite of each other. And the birds he did not divide. And when the birds of prey swooped down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. When the sun was setting, a deep sleep overcame Abram, and a horror, a terror of great darkness assailed and oppressed him. And God said to Abram, know positively that your descendants will be strangers dwelling as temporary residents in a land that is not theirs. And they will be slaves there and will be afflicted and oppressed. And for 400 years this will happen. But I will bring judgment on that nation whom they will serve. And afterwards they will come out with great possessions. Verse 15, and you shall go to your father's house in peace. And you shall be buried at a good old age. And in the fourth generation, they, your descendants, shall come back here to Canaan once again. For the, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet fully complete. And when the sun had gone down and a thick darkness had come on, come on, behold, a smoking oven and a flaming torch passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river of Euphrates. Father, I just thank you that as we dive into this open our eyes, open our ears, let us be a part of what you're looking for. God, I just ask that you begin to connect us not only to your word, but to an experience that you are, are continuing to do in 2022. God, we seek your face, we seek your will, we seek your way, and I just thank you that as we stay in this moment right now, God, that you continue to, to work on the hearts, that you, you work on us from the inside out, not the outside in, and we just thank you for it. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Many of us have sought out miracles from God. I know I have. And when it didn't happen, I had a ton of questions. Maybe you did too. Uh, maybe God didn't want me to have that. Uh, maybe I didn't pray hard enough. Maybe I should have fasted longer. Maybe there was a hidden sin that I didn't know about that God knew about. Maybe God was just so busy. Maybe God didn't hear me. Maybe God doesn't like me. Maybe just miracles don't happen anymore. Maybe it's only for a select few of lucky people, but not for everybody else. Maybe that can happen for somebody who is super, super, super spiritual. Maybe they went to Bible school and I didn't. Maybe they gave more and I didn't. We go through all of these explanations of why we pray for something and it doesn't happen. Am I the only one who has gone down that rabbit hole and found nothing at the end of it? What's worse... It's not when we just pray because we want to have something or pray because we hope for something. What's worse in my life is when I have a word from God and it still doesn't happen. Can anybody recognize that one? It's one thing, at least I go, well, it was my idea, Savannah. I just, I thought it was a good call. I saw EJ do it, so I tried it. It's different when I go, mm -mm, God, you spoke to me. You said this. This wasn't something that I came up with. I wasn't watching Christian television. I was in the movies minding my own business watching Iron Man. And then you spoke to me. I wasn't trying to be spiritual. I was watching football. I wasn't being spiritual. I was knuckle deep in chicken sandwiches. And you spoke to me. What in the world is going on? How come you would change my life when I didn't ask for it and then not do it? Oh, come on. See next few weeks, we're going to dive into these things. 
In Genesis 15, we see God give a man named Abram, later on we call him Abraham, a promise. In fact, this promise didn't start right now. It started three chapters earlier in Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, we see Abram not serving God. He's not. In fact, it's the antithesis of serving God. He's worshiping other gods. He's worshiping other gods in a place called Ur of the Chaldees. It's where he was born. It's where he was raised, where his family comes from. Everybody he ever knew was right there, and he was doing everything wrong, and God talked to him. How about you? When you <laughs> Some of us sought the face of God. We sought him out. We realized there was a God. We, we went through a journey. We prayed. We didn't know his name. We didn't know what to do, and then God manifested himself. Has anybody been that way? Other people are like me. When you woke up from a binge drinking night, and there's puke all over the place, and you're like, I think I need Jesus. Can anybody else recognize that one? Like, you are in the worst of the worst, and you're like, this ain't good. Abram is serving other gods, doing the wrong thing, and God said, hey, 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 I pick you. And he tells him to leave his land and then just go. Where, where does he tell him to go? He doesn't. He says, go to a land. Eh, I'll tell you when you get there. Like, think, think about this for a second. Now, mind you, we didn't have GPS. There was no Google Earth. There was no idea. He'd be like, huh, if I head north and northeast, I can run up over here. He just had to go. This is before Magellan ever circumnavigated the world. This is before we have maps and everything else that we have now. This is just God saying, hey, to a guy, leave everything and head that direction. And he has no guarantee that there's even people in that direction. Think about that. In that small circle of life, he went into nothingness. And what? How scary would that be? See, I, I pat myself on the back because I do something for God after I have all the details. I took a big step for you, God. Abram left everything. There was no cell phones or email or Facebook marketplace or anything else that he could possibly go to. Be like, hey, can I get an Uber? This is not working out. There was no other options. He just left and went on a promise from a God he didn't even serve at the time. At 75 years old. Well, they lived to be 500. No, they didn't. Not then. This is post-flood. Think about how small the earth's population is at that time. <laughs> he just left. Verses 12, 13, 14, and now today, um, verse 15. This is what's taking place. I'm going to give you a nut uh, give the whole process really quick. Abram leaves his family. He leaves everybody. His dad dies. He buries him. He keeps moving forward. He goes to a land. He's got his nephew and his wife. He's 75. He gets blessed. Everything begins to prosper. There's a big famine. He goes to Egypt. His wife is also elderly. He gets to Egypt, lies about his wife because she's so beautiful, the pharaohs want her. And he gives her away without a fight. Then he gets her back, 
goes back up, gets more possessions. Him and his nephew get into a nasty fight. They part ways. His nephew goes to a place uh, called Sodom and Gomorrah. He begins to live there and prosper. Then he gets captured. So then Abram then takes all of his servants and all of the people that he's got and then goes and destroys other nations and then comes back. Can I tell you, in these three chapters, it's not that good. It's not like Abraham is just like, man, this is the best time of my life. The verse right before this starts, he just got done with hand-to-hand combat in his 80s. Now, we think he's about this time. It's been about 10 to 15 years since the first promise. So he's about 80 to 85 years old, still kicking butt and taking names. Think about that. Now, I've never been to war. I've never had hand-to-hand combat. I can't imagine how crazy it would be today. I can't even imagine how crazy it would be back then without bullets. And you literally would just get, who's got the sharp knife and we're going to go at it. And so I can't imagine now at this moment in his late 80s, mid, mid, mid to late 80s, realizing that he just sent all of his people to war and they won. All the blood that was shed... And now he's sitting there and God speaks to him. This has been a life of struggle. The problem with me and the problem with maybe you is we see all the things he has. Man, he's got so much money. He has enough to have a whole army. Look how much possession he has. Every other nation is scared of him. And so when God looks at him in verse 15 and says, hey, 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 don't be afraid. I got your back in verse uh, verse 1. Abram's response is, what are you going to do to me? That sounds like a child. That sounds selfish. But the problem is, is that Abram goes, God, I've got everything I need. I've got more money than I can spend. I've got maidservants. I've got manservants. I've got camels. I've got sheep. I've got goats. Nations are scared of how powerful I am. But you know what I don't have, God? I don't have that promise that you told me 15 years ago. Yeah, I've got a lot of things. But when I die, it's over. There is no heir to what I'm doing. God, if you, you told me 10 years ago this was happening, and you know what's happened? Still no kid. I'm getting old. So you know what I'm going to do, God? I guess Eliezer of Damascus is going to get my stuff. To which God goes, stop. Stop. You're going to have a kid. And it's going to come from you. Here's the big idea that we have to realize. Is that God's will is always easier to accept than God's timing. One of the biggest miracle misconceptions that I have in my life is that when God speaks, it happens now. He spoke to me on a Sunday. It's now Tuesday, God. Where you at? A couple of days ago, I was talking to my kids, and we're talking about going on a vacation. And I said, hey, let's take a summer trip somewhere. Let's go and have some fun. Where do you you guys want to go? Without missing a beat, my daughter goes, Paris? I said, what? Malachi goes, we're going to Paris. We're going to Australia. (laughs) Australia? I was thinking Six Flags. What what are y'all doing? Paris, Australia. They settled on New York City. 
And I said, I'm not, I'm not taking you two crazies to New York by myself. You have lost your mind. I can deal with Hot Atlanta. I can deal with Orlando. I was thinking the panhandle, maybe a beach. Not Paris, Australia, New York. Okay, we'll go to Disney World, Dad. Disney World, oh, okay. The one in California. What is wrong with you two? Like, I'm not flying you guys to California. These are my kids. You know how many times they've left the nation? Zero. You know how many times they've been to New York, California? Zero. Why they think that this should happen? I have no idea. I think the furthest trip that I have personally taken them on, now that they can, they can remember, not when they were babies, but they can remember, is probably Georgia. But yeah, Paris, Australia. So we had this conversation. This is on Friday. They expected today to go on vacation. And I'm like, I, I just asked if we went, where would you want to go? So we're not going. <laughs> I didn't say we weren't going. I just said we're not going today. We're still arguing over Australia and Paris. <laughs> and this is what happens in my spiritual life on a regular basis. God speaks to me. I'm like, done. Today. Let's do it. God's like, whoa, whoa. I wanted you to understand I've got a plan for your life. I didn't say that was for right now. And here's the big question I have for, for you. And maybe this is something that I was go, going through as I was reading this story is, I wonder what Abram would have done back in verse 12. If God goes, I'm going to make you a nation and make you great. It's going to be 15 years from now. I wonder if he would have been so eager to leave. I wonder if he'd been like, cool, let me know when you're ready. I'm just going to stay where I'm comfortable. I'm going to stay here in Ur. I'm going to stay in this spot. This is what I know. This is what I can do. I'll just maintain where I'm at. I got my family here. God, when you're ready, you let me know. But if I got a decade, my wife leave. My dad's getting older. He's going to die. I might as well just stay. No, God says go. Abram goes because Abram expected something from God. And now we see him 10 years later going... What's up? What's up? Because God's will is easier to process than God's timing. <laughs> the truth for me is, maybe the truth for you, is that we've got these words from God, and the only thing that has changed is we've gotten older. But our circumstances look the same. And we're wondering, God, where's that miracle you promised? What is it that we were looking for? What is that thing that you said? And now I'm getting older. And now I'm starting to wonder what we're doing. Let's make it a little easier. How many times have I or you have prayed for a move of God? And you meant it. And expected it that Sunday. And it didn't happen. And you're like, wow, God. Wow. The amount of time that I've taken, I've taken 22 uh, youth camp trips. 22. And the amount of, of those times that I've watched teenagers leave on a Friday or Saturday on fire for God and expect, because they prayed at youth camp, that when they come back on that next day, that every one of you guys are just as hyped as they are. And then you're not. And they go, old people. They just don't care. 
not the case. It's not the case at all. See, a lot of times we, we have these moments with God where we're praying for something and when he doesn't do it when we expect it, we think he ain't going to do it. I tried. I gave it my best shot, God, but you obviously didn't have it in your works. You didn't care. See, waiting for 10 days to fulfill his word is a big deal for me. Imagine waiting 10 years and staying strong. A lot of times when I look at God's timing, I look at it as I do go to a restaurant. I'm here. You know what's on that menu. I told you what I want on that menu. It's been 10 minutes. How come I don't have food? And God, in, in his mercy and grace, can I tell you just real quick, he knows more than I do, and he knows more than you do. And he knows that if he told me what was going to take place 20 years from now, in 20 years, I probably wouldn't start moving in the right direction until that moment. And then be panicking and stressed, wondering, how come it's not happening? You put all this weight on me, oh God. So today, let's go back through this real quick. and Look at the four things. The four things Abraham did, or Abram did. In verse 1, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Fear not, Abram, I'm your shield. I'm your abundant compensation. I'm your reward. And Abram said, what can you give me since I'm going out of this world childless? The first thing Abram did was he talked to God. The first thing you need to do is you need to talk to God. If you're wavering in your miracle moments, the very first thing you need to do is not talk to your auntie. It's not talk to your cousin. It's not to talk to your broke friends down the street. It's not to talk to your horrible people that you work with. The first thing you need to do is to talk to God and say, God... Where are we at? Can I tell you, he understands time. He created it. He understands in my very small amount of mind that 10 years to him may be a blink, but 10 years for me is an eternity. God, what are you doing? What's going on? Abram said to him, God, everything you give me doesn't matter anyways because somebody else is going to inherit it. God said, come outside. I love that. Why don't you come outside, Abram? Get out of that small tent you're thinking about right now. And let me show you what I can do. Let me take you out of those four walls. And all you see is that little thing six feet above your head called a ceiling. And all you see is these poles. And you're looking around at your older wife. And you're looking around going, I got all this junk here. And I, got no, I don't hear any kids. And God says, why don't you just come outside and let me show you something that I can do. Because when you walk outside and God goes, count the stars, if you can, that, that's a jab. You understand that little statement is a jab. That's something I would tell my kids. Go ahead. You want that candy? Get it. If you can, grab it. Dad, I want candy. I want candy. It's right there. It's up there at the top. It's at the top. You have I can't reach it. Get it if you can. Go ahead. You can get it. You can get it. Count the stars if you can, Abram. Oh, you can't? I can I know every single one of them, Abram. I remember when I created every single one of them. And you're going to sit here in your small little tent. Why don't you come outside and see what I can do for a second? The first thing you have to do is expand your boundaries of your thinking because God's thinking is a lot bigger than your thinking. And the vastness of space is there before you. You know one of the worst things that's taken place in our lives is that we've lived in a city too long and we have light pollution and we can't see the stars anymore. 
Remember those days when you'd go outside and it was just everywhere and you would just sit there and stare and marvel at the grandeur of what he has done. And now we go, eh, I see three stars. No, I'm telling you. Abram leaves his tent and stands outside and is blown away at what he can see. You know what changed? Not a thing. Because those stars have been in the exact same spot for the past 15 years. But what is shifting now is Abram's going, there's something bigger than my small thinking. Because when we talk to a big God and we see through big God glasses, we can see what big gods can do. And at that moment, Abram goes, whoo, here we are. We are in it. God is speaking over you because he sees the needs. He didn't look at Abram and go, hey, buddy, what can I do for you today? He called Abram and go, I'm going to make something of you for generations to come. Because he already knew the desires of his heart. God's word over you is bigger than you. This is what Abram knew. This is the big thing that I think that, that gets me. Abram could have spent the rest of his life in comfort and luxury. But he found himself in a spot that was discontented because why? He knew that if he died, there would be nothing left of him on the earth. And here I am, wanting my miracle and wanting my blessings for my comfort. And Abram's over here going, I'm okay to die as long as there's someone else to take my spot. In other words, God's miracles aren't for you for your kids and your kids' kids. Because a miracle moment in your life will speak to a heritage that will continue to believe. Because if God could do it for dad, God can do it for me. And if God can do that for grandma, God can do it for me. And I know that my auntie was struggling and God healed her body. And I know that when I'm struggling, if God can do it for her, he can do it for me. Because the truth is, is that the miracle is not about you. It's about generations to come. And that's what Abraham knew. Abraham knew, I've got the blessings. I've got all the stuff. But I don't have the kids. I don't have the next generations to pick up. So when I die, can I tell you in Abram's mind, so does the relationship with God. Because there's not a single story of Eleazar of Damascus picking up the torch of Abraham's God and running with it. There's not a single story of one of his servants going, I'm following the God of Abraham. And Abraham knew... In that moment, you called me out of nothingness, and I know that in my heritage, I may be the last one that believes in you, and there's got to be more. What if you're the last person in your family that believes in God? What if it's you that is going to be the anchor for generations to come? And we're over here wondering, because it's been 10 days about my miracle. And Abraham's going, God, give me something, not just so I have a kid, so that your inheritance and your heritage lives on for generations. What is God telling? I, I, I love this. <laughs> In verse 4, God says to him, this man shall not be your heir. But he who shall come from your own body shall be your heir. He brought him outside. Look at the stars if you're able to count them. Verse 6 says, And he believed and trusted on him, and it was counted under righteousness. Verse 7 for me is when everything shifts. 
Verse 7 says this, and he, this is God, said unto him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees. Second thing we've got to realize is that what has he brought you out of already? That wasn't an accident. He didn't just go like, oh, by the way, I gave you good GPS coordinates. He said, I, don't you, don't you forget that I'm the one who took you out of that life and brought you to where you are now. God's not being mean. He's not being, being angry. He's reminding Abraham of who he is, that I am God that brought you out. You were here, I took you there. You were over there, and I brought you here. Don't you forget that I am the one that left you out of there and brought you all the way over here. You could have been over there worshiping other gods and being miserable, but I took you out. So my question for you today is, what has he brought you out of? What is it that he has done for you already? This verse has been ringing in my ears. Come on, maybe he brought you out of some darkness. Horrible situations. Utter depression when all was lost. Maybe he brought you out of that. Maybe he brought you out of a chronic illness. Maybe a sickness that was incurable, or you thought you were going to live with that pain for the rest of your life, and he brought you out. What has he brought you out of? Maybe a lifestyle of drugs. Maybe he brought you out of a lifestyle of being miserable and, and, and being substance abuse issues and all these things. What has he brought you out of? Maybe he brought you out of alcoholism. What has he brought you out of? Come on, somebody. What has he brought you out of? Think about that for a second. What has he already took you from? The old ways that you were in. What did he bring you out of and brought you in today? I'm asking that question right now. What is it that God can look at you and say, I'm the one that brought you out of that spot and put you where you are today? Loneliness, depression, anxiety, fear. What is it that he's brought you out of? Abram talked to God and God talked back. The third thing he does is he believed. Verse 6 says that he believed in and God counted it as righteousness. This believing that Abram did isn't just something that we, we look at like Martin Luther did and, and when he talked about justification of faith by, faith by grace alone through faith. While this is absolutely true, and while we see the believing aspect of what Abram did in his life, that's not what this verse is talking about. This is not a verse about sanctification. In fact, if you, if you take this, this is not Abram looking going, hmm, it's a good idea, God. That's, I like it. Good call. I believe you. In fact, this is what rabbi scholars would say. At this point, Abram had what, he, what they call active faith. This is because he acted because he believed. This is the works because of faith. This is, I'm doing this because I believe. And I can just be very, it is what it is, Abram's turn. He gets a word of God. 
in his 80s that he's going to have a kid, so he goes back to Sarah. There was action because of belief. Are you with me? And I don't know where you are, but when I come into it, a lot of times God speaks to me about something, and I go, hmm, that's a good idea. I like that, God. And that's where it ends. It's all on you, big man. Because I don't want to do anything. Because if I do anything, then it's all works process. It's not the case. God speaks to you and says, hey, I'm going to lead you out of debt. I'm going to lead you into prosperity. That's a great idea, God. Try to stay home and you like send checks. Direct a, what do you need, my routing number? You know what God usually speaks of when he does that? Get a job. That's demonic. I rebuke you, Satan. I'm having a conversation with Jesus, and you over here telling me to get a job, and that's not how I do things, God, because you said I'm getting debt-free, and now you said works. God, shut him up. No. It's called active faith. I do because I believe. I'm acting out because I know what he said. When Jesus says, Peter, come out on the water, Peter goes, it's a good idea. It's a great idea. No, he stepped out of the boat. He put action to his faith. Abraham is counted unto righteousness because he put action to his agreements. Agreeing with God is not enough. I feel good about it. Man, God, I believe you. You can do all things. Go get them, man. You go do you. I'm going to be here reaping the rewards. And God's like, well, we together are going to do something. See, the problem is works-motivated mindsets go, I'm going to do something to stir up God to get him to do something. Action-motivated faith goes, God already is doing something. I'm going to partner with what he's doing. Both require energy. One of them has a mindset already rested in faith. The other one is hoping that maybe I can just conjure up something and God gets excited. It's like me going, if I say Jesus, 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 Jesus enough, maybe he'll go, oh, somebody's calling my name. Like, Dad, 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 Dad. Dad, Dad, you finally go, what? <sighs> Can you get me that? Like right, right next to you, Malachi. It's right, it's, yeah, but I'm playing a game. Can you, can you get that for me? You're just screaming, Dad. Maybe we can go, Jesus, 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 Jesus. What? I need you to uh, heal my head. That'd be great, thanks. That's not how this works. What Jesus did was, I've already given you the keys. I've already given you the tools. I've already known, let you know my will. I've spoken it in existence. Now, you, by faith, take action. Hear me out. We do things because we believe, not because we're trying to make something happen. Can I tell you a, a plague that's taken place in our, my generation now? Is that we've heard the whole idea of works, mindset, and faith for a long time. And we've experienced it. I've experienced it. I've done it. I'm going to do something good enough to make God happy and proud of me, and then he'll give me what I need. And so then we go on this huge spiel of, hey, 
Stop being a Martha. Remember the story of Mary and Martha sitting at Jesus' feet? Mary's sitting there. Martha's in the, in the kitchen making food. And, and she comes in, Jesus, tell Mary to help me. And God goes, she's doing the good thing. She's sitting at my feet. And what's taking place is we go from one extreme to the other. Now we go, oh, Martha's doing something. She is evil. We just sit. That's not what the whole purpose of the story was. Well, I'm going to be a Mary in a Martha world. Great book. Loved the book. As long as your heart is to do the right thing, not to be lazy. And what I'm seeing in my world, especially with my generation, I'm not talking to everybody, and my generation of, of, of Christian leadership is we want to be served and we don't want to serve. We want to have all the pretty things, but we don't want any of the work that it took to get there. We see what previous generations have done for God, and we want those things. We just don't want to do what it took to get there, because that over there sounds exhausting. And I would just rather play Xbox and scroll, and then I'll find a quote, and I'll hashtag it, and I'll repost it, and I'll retweet it, and be like, man, look how spiritual I am today. True, that was exhausting. No. Heavens no. Can I tell you, we need people who have a heart of Mary to sit at his feet and a work ethic of Martha to get things done. God didn't look at Martha and go, hey, 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 never again do you do anything. He didn't look at Mary and go, never again do you get up. The difference was Mary understood the moment. Mary goes, God is speaking He is talking, I'm going to stop what I'm doing, and I'm going to listen. People ask me how I write messages, and and I used to, I I, I felt like God would speak an idea, and then I would have 18 different books, and encyclopedias, and all the other stuff, and I'd go into the Greek, and the Hebrew, and the Aramaic, and I would find, and I would try to, as if I am a detective solving a mystery, going, okay, God, where 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 do we call, no. It was a, can I tell you? I would spend 60 to 70 hours coming up with a 45-minute conversation. And it was a lot of work. And then I had a man in his late 70s say, hey, you've got the spirit of stupid. That's not how it works. I'm like, well, this is how you taught me. He goes, that was for, that was for research papers, dummy. That's not how you write the message. I'm like, well, what do I do? He goes, you listen. And when God speaks, you stop. And when he stops speaking, you know, move on with life. So yesterday, preparing for this message, I did eight loads of laundry. And then he'd say something, whoop, pause. I would type, 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 and I'd listen. We good? I'd go back to laundry. Because that's what we're supposed to do. When he speaks, we pause, we listen, we reflect, we write, we give attention, just like Mary did. And then when he's done... Just like Martha, we do dishes. This is what our world is supposed to look like. Abraham would stop and have a conversation with God, listen to God, and then God said, go, and Abraham would then go. It was listening and doing. It was faith and it was action. It's not one or the other. It's both. God is not looking for somebody just to sit here, pie in the sky. I know everything, but do nothing. And he's not over here wanting you to sweat to death, hoping that you get the right answer. 
He's a God that gives you a purpose and a plan, and we do it. When he speaks to you about being debt free, he's going to give you the methods and the information, and then you have to do something called budget. Come on, somebody. He looks at you and says, there's going to be a move of God in your life and in your family's life and everything else. You listen, you accept it, you say, yes, sir, and then you study for what a move of God looks like. You pray into that. You fast into that. I'm not fasting for it. I'm fasting to prepare myself. Oh, come on. We cannot have the passive nod and call it faith anymore. Mm, it's good, God. It's a good word. Yeah, the, the, the passive amen is not counted unto you as righteousness. I'm sorry. Because Paul clearly says that faith without works is dead. We don't ever work for our relationship with God. We never work for his approval. We never work for his love. We never work for our salvation. What we do is that when he gives us a word as if it's seed, we plant it, we nurture it, we watch it grow, and we reap from it. That's a process. And this is the hardest part for me of my miracle misconception is I'm waiting for the word harvest and I don't like seed time and harvest. There's one last thing he did and I got time for this one last thing. He sacrificed. And in his sacrifice... He fought for it. But Abram, sorry, in verse 9 it says this, and he said, God said to him, bring me a heifer of three years old, a she-goat of three years old, a ram that is three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. I'm not going to get into all the details of what these mean. We don't have time for that. It's a cool study though, because I'm a nerd. And he brought them all and laid them, cut them in the middle, and laid them half opposite of each other. So picture if you take a chicken breast and you slice it down the middle and you fillet it wide open because you, it's too thick. You ever have a piece of meat that was just too big? You cut it open, lay it on the other. Same, same concept here. And it says this, and when the birds of prey swooped down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Birds of prey. I feel like we've skipped past that way too much. This is a very specific type of bird. This is the griffin vulture. The griffin vulture lives in the mountains. Most people believe that this whole thing takes place over in Mount Hermon on the north side. So we see this griffin vulture up there, and the griffin vulture is four foot long with a nine foot wingspan. And they fly in packs. And this is what they sound like. Can you guys hit that one? Play it again. Keep playing. Think about that. Sounds like a dinosaur. 
you're 85 years old, you're outside, and you hear that at night. And all you can do is look up in the sky and see a nine-foot shadow flying over your head. Not one, not two, but a pack. And you're hearing the screams. In your head, what do you think that is? Anybody? Demons? Sure. Spirits? Ghosts? I don't know. But I can tell you one thing. I'm 38. They can have it. Think about this for a second. This is what he hears. A word from God. This is what you're going to do. Get out of your tent. Look at the stars. That sounds great. Okay, God, I believe. What do you want me to do? I want you to give me a sacrifice. He splits them open. He lays them down, and he hears that flying over his head. It's a bad idea. And what does Abram do in his 80s? He fights off the birds. Can I tell you, the birds never once, never once attacked Abram. What did it say they went after? The sacrifice. The vultures that are flying over your head, the things that are swooping down to try to attack you, the words that are coming up against you, the actions that are coming up against you, it's not about you, it's about your sacrifice. It's never been about you because what they knew in that moment is it's about the covenant. That God's about to perform a massive covenant over their lives. And they're going to come down and disrupt the covenant. And try to scare Abram to run back inside and leave it away. The misconception is that we have to do a bunch. The reality is you have to fight off the birds. Because the vultures are flying overhead. And they're not here for you. I know they're scary. And they sound creepy. And it's like being on Stranger Things. But that's not what's taking place. What's taking place is that the enemy is swooping down to take out your sacrifice. Because he cares about the covenant. And to truly fight off. The thing that we have to fight off the most. Is the giving up. Abraham didn't give up when it was taking too long. And he didn't give up. When the vultures were after the sacrifices. Now I'm not going to name all your vultures today. I'm not going to tell them that it's just <laughs> your in-laws. I'm not going to say that it's the, the boss that you work with. I'm not going to tell you it's just a mindset that you have. Because only you know what's flying overhead. Whatever that doubt and unbelief is flying overhead. Whatever it is that's trying to get you to go back inside. Whatever it is that's going to hold you back. Whatever it is that's going through your head right at this moment. going, This is what I keep walking into. The wall that is screaming at you. What is it that's flying overhead, making that noise, trying to get you to leave? Can I be honest? If an 85-year-old man can fight it off, so can you. If he could stand there and fight off his birds, so can you. If he could go through all the things because he believed that if I let this thing go, my inheritance is gone, and I'm just going to die rich. Think about that. That was his fear. I'm going to die rich. He would rather die in lack with a lineage of belief and fight off nine-foot vultures than to go back inside where it's comfortable and not see the miracle. See, guys, we don't fight, hear me out, to make God perform. We fight away the doubt. We fight away the unbelief. And we stick to the plan that God gave us. We stick to the process that God gave us. The misconceptions aren't that we have to do a bunch. We just got to do the little bit. 
the little things that he's asking of us, the never giving up on the fight, the never calling it quits, the not going inside when it's comfortable, when everybody else is talking bad about you, when everybody else is calling you a crazy person, when everybody else says, why are you giving so much money? Why are you giving so much time? Why do you constantly sing? Why do you constantly dance? Why are you constantly praying? He ain't answered. He ain't going to answer. It's been five years. It's been 10 years. You're still believing for your son to come home. He ain't coming home. Give up. And the screams at night. Isn't that the worst part, though? It's the screams at night. It's not on 10 a.m. when I'm at a church service. It's about 9.30 at night when I'm by myself and I hear the thoughts. I hear the thoughts. You ever had a thought that was so deep you heard it? Think about that. Abram fought off the birds. The first thing you got to do is talk with God. You got to talk with Him. You got to walk through that process. You got to let Him know where you are. You got to understand who you are and who, you, who He says that you are, no matter what. We got to believe with action. We got to fight off the vultures that are going to come after your sacrifice. And I think for me yesterday when I was walking through this going, God, okay, birds. I don't, birds. I don't know. That's, birds. Great. He, he laughed. I, I mean, I felt it. Because it's not, it's not about you. When I was, man, how old was I? Uh, I might have been 18, 19 years old. We lived out in Slap Out. And uh, we had a den with a screened in door, all windows all around. And, and growing up, you, the birds would see the reflection or see whatever, and they'd fly in over and over and over again. It wasn't scary. You'd just be, pow! Oh, dead bird. There he goes. Pow! Another one. Oh, well, it is what it is. It was all fun and games, Bill. Until one day, the door was open. Remember this moment? And I stood up, and he flew inside and landed on my head. Now, to me, it was a nine-foot vulture. It might have been a sparrow, but he was on my head, sucking my brains out. So what do I do? What? I ain't going to front. I didn't cowboy up. I wasn't a man. I squealed like a little girl and tried to run around in circles, and he's just flapping on my head. I ran all the way outside, and my mom doubled over laughing at me. She could not get it together because this... Big, strong, football-playing boy is screaming like a girl because a little bitty bird's on his head. But to me, man, that was Dracula. I don't know what he was doing, but he was after me. In this case, the birds aren't, the vultures aren't after you. They're after the covenant. You know what that means? They're after your kids. And they're after your kids' kids. They're okay with you being comfortable as long as you don't pass that along. It's not about you. It's about your kids. And your kids' kids. And your kids' kids' kids. It's about you leaving an inheritance that they can fight for. You're fighting for them. You're fighting for that covenant. You're fighting for the promise. That's what we do. Hmm. Lastly, in first verse, the first verse, God says that I am, you're exceedingly 
great reward. I am your shield. That shield, it's pretty cool. It's a Hebrew word. It literally has the pictures of, of the scales of a crocodile. It's armor. It's not just the shield that you would hold up. It's the whole idea of God goes, I'm going to make you bulletproof. That no matter what happens, got to remember, they didn't have 12-gauge shotguns. Ever seen anybody plug an alligator? Have you shot an alligator, anybody? Like, yeah, they, meow, they're gone. They don't care. They look at you stupid. You have to plug an alligator. So with a 12-gauge shotgun shell, you have to put it right on the top of the forehead, connect it. Not shooting it from a distance, connect it. That's the only way. They didn't have that technology. So when they look and go, I'm going to be the scales of a, of a crocodile on you, what God is saying is, I'm going to make you impenetrable. That no matter what anybody shoots at you, is not going to get through. Everything that the world throws at you, I've got your back. And, and, and the first verse that threw me off because he says, I am your exceedingly great reward. And I thought, he, I thought it always meant you're going to have an exceeding great reward. And that's not what he's saying. Because he says, I am your. God is the reward. The word exceedingly is a cool adjective. It means to be passionate about something with force. The root word that it comes from, it literally means poking the fire. Any men know what I'm talking about? Fall time. I can't help it. I see a fire in the ground. Got to find a stick. Got to find something. Got to poke it. Anybody, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Like, mm, let's see what happens. You walk around. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's something in us. My son does. I never taught him that. I never was like, hey, bud, this is what you do as a man. Go grab a stick. See those coals? You just jab it. We don't know why we do it. We just do it. I mean, some of you guys probably know why you do it. I don't. There's just the caveman in me goes, poke stick. Like, I don't know why. It's just what I do. My daughter doesn't do it. She watches me and Malachi. And she's like, y'all are idiots. She just walks away. But you know what happens when you poke through dormant-looking coals? You see what's underneath. And here's what God is saying when it comes to exceedingly. I'm what looks like a dormant coal, but you don't see what's burning underneath. And what God says is that I'm the one that's furiously passionate about your reward. I am the one that you can poke a little bit and see what comes up. I'm the one that you're supposed to talk to. I'm the one that's exceedingly great. I am passionately forceful reward. But the word great is unique. In fact, that word is used over 200 times in the, in, in the Hebrew language when it comes to the Bible. Only eight times is it used as, as the word great. The vast majority of the time is multiplier. And every time that the word great is used, it could easily be substituted as multiplier. And when God says that I am passionately, forcefully, your multiplying reward. The contract end, the reward, the things that you are supposed to get. I am the one that is passionate about you. I'm going to clothe you in scales to protect you. And I'm passionate about our covenants. He's so passionate about the covenant that he has for you. I guess the big question is, are you? We have to 
fight off the birds. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that you've given us wisdom and grace that as we dive into this, that God, you speak to us. What are the birds in our lives that have been holding us back? The things in our world that have we've been sacrificing to? How many times have we given up hope way too soon, thrown in the towel, gone back to where it's comfortable, and you're calling us back outside again? God, let us not hear the squelching of the vultures, but God, let us hear the joys of the reward today. Let us get the courage to stand up and not fight to get you to perform, but fight for the covenant that you've already given to us. God, I just thank you that we don't have to earn your love. We don't have to earn your acceptance. We don't have to jump through hoops for you. But God, I just thank you that we defend the words that you've said over us. Even if it's been a word that's been a year, a decade, or three decades ago, that God, we stand because it's worth the fight. And we just praise you. We thank you for it in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.